History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 413th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're going to a place close to the Hillbilly Horror Stories area, and that would be Kentucky, Bardstown to be exact. We're going to be visiting the Jailers Inn Bed and Breakfast. Kelly, we love haunted jails. We do. We love haunted beds and breakfasts. Yes, we do, as long as we have our own bathroom. That is true. (laughs) So on this one, we're combining the two. This is a jail, a former jail that's been turned into a bed and breakfast. I can't wait. And there's one room where you can actually stay as if you still are in that jail. Uh, I don't know about that one, but I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) All right. Before we get into that, let's welcome into the spectacular crew, Jonathan, Tani, who I believe is Karen Sanders' daughter, Diana, Kayla, Aaron with an E, Adele, No, not the singer, but maybe she can sing. (laughs) And Scott from Astonishing Legends Podcast, which we're very honored to have him joining us. Absolutely. And thank you for joining the Spooktacular crew. And now this moment, Noddity. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Chelsea Flowers. There's been a viral picture making the rounds claiming to be a tortoise named Jonathan, who's going to be turning 190 years old in 2022. The picture actually features a male tortoise in his 50s at the Taronga Zoo in Australia. While the picture pings as false information, the claims about Jonathan are true and he really does exist. Jonathan is a Seychelles tortoise that was born in 1832, five years before the coronation of Queen Victoria. Jonathan eventually ended up on the remote island of St. Helena in the South Atlantic in 1882. Jonathan has made the Guinness Book of World Records and is not only the oldest animal alive today, he is the oldest colonian ever. The previous holder of that title had been a radiated tortoise named Tui Malila, who had been owned by the royal family of Tonga and lived to be 188 years old. Jonathan has seen a lot in his lifetime, including 39 U.S. presidents, two world wars, and seven British monarchs. He lived before the first skyscraper was built, before the incandescent light bulb was invented, before the first postage stamp, and before the first photograph of a person was taken. Jonathan was gifted to the governor of St. Helena and has lived on the grounds of the Georgian mansion originally built by the East India Company since 1882. An animal living to be 190 years old, even a tortoise, certainly is odd. Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat. And now, this month in history.
in the month of December on the 14th in 1900, quantum theory was born. Quantum physics is fascinating to those of us that investigate and study the paranormal because it explains things that cannot be seen with the eye. Quantum theory claims that energy can actually exhibit the characteristics of physical matter, even though energy seems to be intangible. German physicist Max Planck demonstrated that radiant energy had particle-like components known as quanta. He published his findings and the quantum theory was born. Planck was awarded the Nobel Prize in Physics in 1918 for his work with blackbody radiation. A black body is a surface that absorbs all radiant energy falling onto it and absorbs all colors of light. The quantum theory helped explain things like how heat worked in solids and how light was absorbed. Quantum mechanics followed and was combined with Einstein's theory of relativity to launch modern physics. Bardstown is the second oldest city in the state of Kentucky, the capital of bourbon making, and town once voted the most beautiful small town in America has several haunted locations. One of these is the Jailer's Inn Bed and Breakfast, where guests can literally sleep in a cell. This was originally the Nelson County Jail, and apparently some of the former inmates are still calling it home in the afterlife. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Jailer's Inn Bed and Breakfast. We're going to have to visit this Bardstown because apparently it has a lot of haunted locations there. A great ghost tour. You know, I'm game. Bardstown is the county seat of Nelson County in Kentucky and gets its name from the brothers who founded the town. David Bard received a thousand acres and a land grant in 1785 from Virginia Governor Patrick Henry. Give me liberty or give me death and I'll give you some land. Sounds good to me. David's brother William surveyed and platted the town and named it I don't know if it was said Bairdstown or Bardstown like it is now, but it was spelled B-A-I-R-D. And this was officially charted in 1788. The location of Bardstown made it prime real estate for Catholicism, and the Diocese of Bardstown was established in 1808. This made the town the first center of Catholicism west of the Appalachian Mountains. Interestingly, despite having this kind of start, Bardstown is known for its distilleries. Huh. Hand in hand? Not really. <laughs> no. I mean, if they're going to make something, at least they drink wine in Catholic churches and stuff. So <laughs> right. Usually you don't think they're going to have bourbon nearby. The town is literally known as the bourbon capital of the world. This was also the birthplace of John Fitch, who built the first steamboat and operated the first steamboat service in the U.S. Fitch had to come up with his own design, even though Scotland inventor James Watt had already devised the Watt steam engine. Because Britain had some sour grapes about that whole little, you know, the Revolutionary War thing. So they wouldn't allow any new technology to travel over to its former colony. So they said, poop on you. You can make up your own thing. So he did. He ran a steamboat business on the Delaware River near Philadelphia. In 1797, the town decided that they needed a jail. And the Nelson County Jail was opened. And John Fitch, who I just mentioned there with the steamship company, has a connection to this jail. He apparently became a drunk later in life and ended up at the jail where he died. Apparently the oh my. 
warden and the guards there took care of him until his last days. We aren't sure what the original jail in 1797 looked like since it was made from wood and no longer stands. Local legend claims that a woman had the sheriff arrest her husband during a domestic spat, but soon grew lonely without his company. She figured if she burned down the jail, her husband would come back home. And so, she burned down the jail, luckily without burning her husband to a crisp. Wow, great plan. (laughs) (laughs) However, she was busted and arrested. She was given the option of 40 lashes on her bare back in public or time in jail. She opted for the lashes. Yes, and it's interesting when you visit the jail, it's set pretty far back from the road, which seems kind of peculiar. It's because there had been this other building that was in front of it at the time until it was burned down. The current structures were built from stone in the 1800s. The front building was constructed from limestone in 1819 in the federal architectural style with 30-inch thick walls. They're not breaking out of that place. Wow. All the windows were covered with inch-thick iron bars and the ceiling had 18-inch thick oak beams. The back building was built in 1874 and is two stories with five bays and an attic. This was made from laurel dolomite and the walls are 30 inches thick as well. The roof is gabled and when the back building was completed, the front building was renovated to serve as the warden's home. So kind of like some of these other county jails that you and I have investigated where they had them, two different pieces that are actually connected to each other and the warden's on one side. Same kind of deal here, only the front one is that way rather than the one next to it. To add extra security, a tall stone wall was built around the property. One of the architects of the structure was believed to be John Rogers, who designed the St. Joseph Cathedral in town. Many people referred to the upstairs area as a dungeon. This was only accessible by climbing a ladder and going through the only window to the room. A door secured the window so that no light entered the dungeon. The walls were covered in thick, hand-hewn timbers that were dark. So, you know, if you got stuck up there, it wasn't pleasant. To me, this would be very reminiscent of having the hole, only it's up on the top Yeah, it sounds like it. A smaller stone structure was also constructed on the property to house female inmates with a private shower. So you could stay there overnight, Kelly. Okay. (laughs) Private shower in my own personal (laughs) honeypot? Hey, what a great advertising (laughs) thing that would be. (laughs) Come check out your own private shower and (laughs) honeypot. And speaking of those 30-inch walls and how I said you can't dig out of them... I read an article last week. I don't remember when the story was from, but it's more modern day. A guy took all this time to dig himself through the wall to get out. And when he got to the other side, it went right into where the jailers and everybody had like their <laughs> lounge room or something. So he busted right into where they were. Great. Darwin Award for that guy. Absolutely. This jail had the distinction of having a female warden. Her name was Maxie McKay. And she served as a jailer from 1950 to 1962. Her husband had served as jailer before her, and when he died, she was elected to continue his job. She ran the jail much like a mother. Good prisoners got home-cooked meals and time in the yard, which was a courtyard behind the jail. Bad prisoners were punished with bread and water, which we all know sits like concrete in the stomach. I think it was when we were at the squirrel cage jail. Wasn't Dolly the one who was talking about that? Yes, when we were... She had talked to somebody and they had said, you know, what makes water and bread together is kind of like paste. So can you imagine that just sitting in your stomach? Right. As when we were looking at their hole, their solitary confinement, which was barely big enough for you to stand up. Yeah. And she's like, then imagine you're standing in there with that in your guts. There were hangings on the gallows in the courtyard. 
One of those executed inmates was Phil Evans, who was hanged for rape in 1894, while the townspeople sat on the stone wall and watched. There were a few jailbreaks during its time. One involved a woman in the 1970s. She was 18 years old and had been arrested for passing bad checks. She figured she was thin enough to pass through the food portal in the iron jail door. So she took off all her clothes, soaped herself up, and promptly got stuck. The police chief, who was also a doctor, soaped her up some more and managed to get her free. I'm not sure if he enjoyed that or... Oh, no. (laughs) Possibly. But you know what? She got what she got. Yes. I mean, I don't know how anybody thinks that they're going to fit through. Maybe this was a larger than what we're used to seeing food portal, but wow. Soap was used in another jailbreak in 1986. Prisoners Wayne Greenwell and Doug Hamilton fashioned a gun from two bars of soap and painted it black. They covered it with a small rag and forced the deputy jailer to hand over the keys. They were apprehended a short time later. I mean, if you think about it, that's a pretty good plan. It was. To make it look like a gun. Yeah. And I mean, they covered it with a rag so he couldn't quite see that it wasn't the real deal. They could probably kind of see the handle and be like, oh, maybe they do have a gun there. Frank and Jesse James supposedly visited the jail because the sheriff at the time was related to them. The James were kin to the Samuels, future creators of Maker's Mark Bourbon, and the sheriff married into the Samuels family. He offered them safe haven when they were being hunted for attacking Union sympathizers. John Dillinger spent a night in the jail while being transported to another facility located in Indiana. There's some graffiti on the walls here. We had some poets that were spending some time in jail, and one of the poems on the wall reads, When I was young, I used to mess around in a little hick place called Bardstown. When one night I went to get drunk, and I ended up on the bottom bunk. When I woke, I felt like hell. I was in the Nelson County Jail. The Nelson County Jail is no place to be if you got a wife and a baby. So if you feel you have to raise hell, stay away from the Nelson County Jail. The jail operated until 1987 and had long been on the National Register of Historic Places. At the time of its closing, it was the oldest operating jail complex in Kentucky. It had been operating for 190 years. Wow, that's a long time. Just like the tortoise. Isn't that weird? Synchronicity. We have a 190-year-old jail when we have a moment noddy mentioning a tortoise that's going to be 190 years old. And we welcomed a Jonathan into the Spooktacular crew. Oh, how funny. Synchronicity. <laughs> Synchronicity. There was no plan for the property, so Nelson County put it up on the auction block. The lucky winners of the auction were Challen and Fran McCoy. They decided to renovate the old jail into a bed and breakfast of sorts. In 1989, they opened the jailers in bed and breakfast with six guest rooms that have been expanded to nine guest rooms with private baths. See, we can stay, Kelly. Yay! (laughs) I really don't like sharing bathrooms. (laughs) One of the rooms, the former women's building, even has bunks that were used by the prisoners and still resembles a cell. Tours are offered daily. TripAdvisor awarded it a top 10 quirkiest lodging in 2012. The McCoy's son, Paul, took over in 1995, and he runs it with his wife, Kim. The McCoy's like to say that people pay to get in rather than to get out, and they refer to guests as inmates. And that's I-N-N, mates, inmates. Isn't that cute? When you leave, well, you're just breaking out. (laughs) I love it. And a fun story from the jail was reported in 2012 in the Kentucky Standard by Jennifer Corbett under the headline, Escapee from Jailer's Inn Found. It reads, The inmate who, quote-unquote, escaped from Jailer's Inn last Saturday was found Monday afternoon. Joe Average inmate was found sitting inside the John Fitch Memorial Monday. According to Paul McCoy, co-owner of the Jailer's Inn, 
The mannequin, known as Joe Average Inmate, was found sitting inside the John Fitch Boat Memorial on Labor Day. I'm glad Joe's back in his cell, McCoy said Tuesday morning. Capturing him again is a relief for the town and community. McCoy stressed that the disappearance and reappearance of Joe Average Inmate a week later was not a publicity stunt. This was not a practical joke we did, he said. This is not something we did personally. Someone really did steal Joe. Can you imagine? (laughs) Poor mannequin. (laughs) Joe Average Inmate, who has been a fixture at the Jailer's Inn for more than 20 years, was reported stolen after a cell was found empty at the Jailer's Inn last Saturday. Reports stated that Joe Average Inmate, who was last seen wearing a black and white striped shirt and blue jeans, most likely was taken out the back gate. Throughout the years, McCoy said, Joe Average Inmate has caused some ruckus from his jail cell. He was only supposed to serve a six-month sentence, but he's been here for 25 years, McCoy said, when the mannequin was first reported stolen. His mischievousness kept him here for over 20 years. Most of all, McCoy said they're relieved to have the beloved Jailer's Inn mannequin back in his usual jail cell, joking that they'll have to keep a bear lock on his cell door now. We're glad to have Joe back at the Jailer's Inn, McCoy said. We're glad he's unharmed. We at Jailer's Inn had nothing to do with helping Joe escape for publicity. The humor of the event made for a good, fun story. I'm glad all came out well. How do they know he didn't just walk out? He might have. <laughs> I <laughs> mean, you're saying know. he got stolen, but he might have said, okay, I'm done. It's been over 20 years. Got to go out and see the world. I just love it when I'm doing research and I stumble across these fun little tidbits. It's <laughs> so much fun to share with everybody. The Travel Channel ranked the Jailer's Inn as one of the 10 most haunted places in the United States in 2002. So clearly, there must be some kind of paranormal activity going on here. This isn't surprising since most old jails seem to be haunted. This one was also formed from limestone. And as we've discussed on other episodes featuring Kentucky locations, limestone runs under most of Kentucky. Bartstown is no exception. Unexplained experiences include disembodied footsteps and voices, objects moving or disappearing on their own, and televisions turning on and off by themselves. A baby's cry is sometimes heard, and there are even the notes of a piano that play on the air. A maid had a terrifying experience one day. She was cleaning a room in the oldest part of the jail, and when she looked up and glanced in the mirror, she saw a man glaring at her angrily. She spun around to face the man and found no one else in the room. She turned back around and started cleaning again, trying to shake her uneasiness. The employee glanced at the mirror again and saw the glaring man once again. That was enough for her. She was done. Did not come back to work again. One of the rooms is named the Colonial Room. This room seems to have a haunted red globe light that turns on by itself, usually around, of course, 3 a.m. One guest actually was happy to have the light do this when he had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. It helped him see his way, although it was also a little unnerving. Reminds me of when we were investigating at Villisca and we needed a flashlight and suddenly it turned on. I know. Here it is, (laughs) because we couldn't remember where we left it. Dolly's like, I need a light. and Boom, there goes the flashlight on. Patty Starr is a local ghost hunter who once managed the old Talbot Tavern that is next to the Jailer's Inn. She owned and operated Scarefest from 2008 to 2016. She has written several books on ghost hunting, started the Bardstown Ghost Trek and Ghost Walk of Lexington, and has taught paranormal investigating classes for years, so she knows a thing or two about haunted history. She felt spirits the moment she entered Jailer's Inn, and one of those spirits seems to be a female who was in charge and guarding the place. Possibly Maxie McKay? She's thought to be a friendly spirit, but several guests have been startled in the middle of the night to awake and find her standing at the end of their bed. Some of them have left in the middle of the night because they were so scared. Again, I still don't know what I would do if I woke up in the middle of the night and saw a spirit standing at the end of the bed. I think I would 
actually stay, especially if they didn't, you know, come over and start throttling me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they started throttling you, that might be a good excuse to leave. Yeah. I think I'd probably start talking to them. <laughs> yeah, I'd be like, hello? Who are you? Can you say your name, please? And let me get my recorder. Hold on a second. Let me get my phone. Don't move. Another female spirit was felt in the dungeon. When Patty went to research females connected to the jail, she found a 1909 newspaper article headlined, Is the Bastille Haunted? The article detailed how prisoners had been complaining of hearing disembodied screams and the sounds of chains dragging. I think that's very cool. This was in a newspaper in 1909. After doing the research, Starr thought perhaps this female energy might be the wife of Martin Hill, because during a dousing session, the female spirit claimed that she had not lived at the jail and didn't die there. Some other guests who stayed in this room took some pictures of the decor. They were stunned to see what appeared to be the apparition of a woman standing in the corner in one of the photos. So who is this Martin John Hill? Well, Martin John Hill was one of the inmates at the jail. He had a bad temper, and one day in a fit of rage, he killed his wife, Esther Graves Hill, in 1885. The couple had four children and lived seven miles southwest of Bardstown in Hill neighborhood. Martin had been drinking for several days, and he started getting abusive, and he broke several household items. Esther was afraid and gathered the children and fled to a neighbor's house, which happened to be her brother-in-law. The group was warming themselves at the fire when Martin burst in with a whiskey bottle in his hand. He told two of his daughters and wife to have a drink, and they all refused. He asked his wife if she was ready to come home, and when she said no, he pulled out a double-action revolver and shot Esther in the stomach. His brother and another man subdued him, while another went to fetch a doctor. Esther had been mortally wounded and died the following morning. Martin was arrested and showed no remorse, and even thought he would be returned home soon. That changed when he stood before Judge Hardin and was charged with murder. Martin claimed it was an accident. He said that Esther had taken the whiskey and the gun out of his pockets, and when she was handing the gun back to him, it accidentally went off. Uh-huh. Nobody was buying that, as Martin had been connected to the killing of a Bardstown man, and he'd also shot his brother Steve. Apparently, he just likes to use his gun Good on people grief. when he's mad. A grand jury indicted him, and he was later convicted and sentenced to hang. He never did make it onto the gallows, though. He became ill and passed away before his execution date. While he was feverish, he screamed out vile and obscene things. And they're not exactly sure what he was ill with. The doctor would come and look him over and say, I can't find anything wrong with him. They'd call the doctor back a couple days later. Same thing. He's like, I, I can't find anything wrong with him. But um, some people are wondering if Esther followed him to that jail and was tormenting him. Possibly. Sounded like a lovely person. Martin Hill is believed to be one of the spirits at the jail. One guest at the inn claimed to have seen the apparition of Hill and spoke to him for over 15 minutes. Prisoners, guests, and staff all claimed to experience the spirit of Hill. Mainly, they would hear his obscene, disembodied cries. According to the 1909 article, prisoners who have since been confined in the jail hear strange sounds in the cell where he died. He is heard, it's alleged, pacing up and down, as was his wont, during his confinement. He's also heard to groan and toss relentlessly upon his bunk. And, as a climax to the whole, the blood-curdling scream he omitted while struggling in the throes of death rings again through the stone corridors with thrilling distinctness. Thrilling distinctness? I guess. I like their choice of words. Is his wife's spirit here too? Is she getting retribution in the afterlife? Well, it seems like Patty might have been picking up on her and clearly other Inmates who had been there in the past thought that he was there, so I could see them having this ongoing afterlife back and forth. Todd at the Witchery Arts blog wrote about his overnight stay at the inn. 
The only troubling sound I heard the night I spent in the Jailer's Inn in Bardstown, Kentucky, was the sound of a cell door closing. There are two reasons I found that disturbing. First, the jail was shut down late in the 20th century, so there are no inmates. And it's unlikely the staff was strolling through the cell block at that time of night. He and his partner were staying in that female cell that is set up like the real cell at the time. And he said it was pretty creepy because the other cells are still there. And you can wander through them all during the night and everything. Mm. And Interesting. That might be the room we'd want to stay in. <laughs> the courtyard where the gallows were situated is also thought to be haunted. People feel as though they are being watched when sitting out there. One guest even claims to have had a conversation with a man in the courtyard. He was distracted and looked away, and when he turned back to the man, he was gone. And some ghosts disappear into walls. A salesman came through town often, and he always stayed at the jailer's inn. One day he was sitting in his room reading the newspaper when he noticed movement out of the corner of his eye. He looked over and saw a man walking to the other side of the room. The salesman glanced at his door, thinking that the man must have come through that, but it was closed and locked. I think the first thing I would have done is like, what are you doing in my room, rather than looking at how he got in there. (laughs) No kidding. He turned back towards the man and watched him walk through the wall. The salesman then scrambled outside so that he could see if the man was on the other side, and sure enough, he found him sitting on a wrought iron bench in the courtyard. He walked over towards the man, and as he got closer and closer, the man faded and disappeared. The salesman was so moved by the experience that he returned every year for three years on the exact same day, hoping to see the specter again. Apparently, there had once been a door where the ghost walked through the wall, so perhaps this was a guard making his usual rounds in a residual way. Wow. Staying overnight here sounds like a -a one-of-a-kind experience. Imagine sleeping overnight in a former jail cell. Experiencing a haunting would just be a bonus. Is the Jailer's Inn Bed and Breakfast haunted? That That is is for you to decide. decide. Well, I know we want to make a trip up there to stay here to visit Jerry and Tracy in their hometown. They're over in Lexington, so it's right next door. And maybe we can take those ghost tours. I'd love to do it with Patty Starr. I'd love to meet her. Oh, heck yeah. I know. I think uh, I've seen Jerry with pictures with her, so I think they're friends and stuff. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. I had posted something about being bummed, you know, when you live in a new house, you don't have any ghosts or a haunted house. And I had some people who made comments <laughs> on that. One of them is my friend Larry. And he said, I have a good spirit in my home, always have and felt it the first time I walked inside. After moving in and getting to know the seller who lived next door, he told me about a preacher who installed the wood floors. He then told me of his passing. He was nearly done with the floor when he took a break for lunch. He sat and ate his lunch to finish and read from his Bible. That's how he was found reading his Bible in my basement. Today, 25 years later, the floor still isn't finished, and I have no reason to finish what he started. It's good enough for God. Very cool. I thought that was so cool. And this is like a friend that I know like from other communities where I don't, have never talked to him about ghosts and stuff. So I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool to hear that. And then what a cool story that, you know, he yeah. died down in his basement. And he's like, I'm not going to finish the floor. Yeah, I love that. And then we have another really cool story here. This is from Amanda. I think she posted it in the Spooktacular Crew. I didn't indicate where I got it from. So I never hid from my kids the things I hear and see because it has been a part of my life for so long. So my daughter moved into a new house and lived there for about a month when she FaceTimes me and tells me, I'm not going to tell you what's going on. I just want you to tell me what you see or feel in my house. So she clearly knew that her mom was a little psychic. She lives a thousand miles away, so I couldn't just go over there. She walked around the house with me on her FaceTime when she got to a certain spot, I told her that there was a child in her house, and I told her where it was standing. I couldn't see it, but I could feel it really strongly. They have some kind of app out now, 
where I guess it recognizes a face and turns it into a puppy. I've never heard of it, but maybe some of our listeners have. She turned that app on and the puppy face showed up showing something that came up to about her waist. Then she told me the reason she called was because her one-year-old daughter was talking to someone and it kind of frightened her. So she started letting her daughter sleep with her since she didn't know what was in her room. She said that the corner I pointed at had a little sit and push fire truck in it. And ever since she moved her daughter out of that room, it would go off and make sounds every night, which is why she called me. My daughter moved out of that house and into another one. She's tried to have another baby, but has lost several before she finally was able to have another one. She again heard her daughter talking to someone while in her room. My daughter decided to listen to her and watch her for a bit. She told me as she was watching her daughter, her daughter was walking around with her hand out like she was holding someone's hand. Then she said, it looked like she was pushed and fell to the ground. She said her daughter stood back up and said, don't push me. So she went in and told her to come and play in the living room. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> You're like, okay, time out. Her daughter was at the babysitter's the other day and the babysitter called and told my daughter that Soso was talking to someone. She said that when she called her for dinner that she turned to the chair beside her and said, don't worry, I will feed you too. So the sitter asked her who she was talking to and she said his name was Michael. So the sitter asked, what does Michael look like? And Soso said, he looks like me. And the sitter asks, how do you know Michael? And she replies, it's mommy and daddy's baby. Oh my gosh. That was a very sweet story. precious. Yeah. And I always love stories like that because uh, my mom miscarried before she had me and I've always missed having an older brother. And so I am positive they couldn't tell when she miscarried, but I'm positive that it was a boy because I've always missed having an older brother. Uh, We've got the Krampus exchange going strong. We want to thank Cheryl McReynolds for putting that together and all of you who've joined her on that and are doing that. I hope you guys have a lot of fun with that. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode isn't brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to thank Shelly LeBeau for raising her support. She's now going to be moved under an obelisk headstone. And Jerry and Tracy over at Hillbilly Horror Stories. I guess they've been looking around the cemetery and decided that they needed a hillbilly mausoleum. Awesome. So they upped their support. Thank you so much to the two of you. And uh, I'm not exactly sure what entails a hillbilly mausoleum, but I'm sure we'll come up with something. Mm, Mark better get working on that. Yeehaw. I'm fixing to build that now over yonder. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. and has lived on the grounds of the Georgian mansion originally built by the East India Trading... Nope. (laughs)
<laughs> Maybe it is. It might be. Built by the East India Company. Be- nope. Come check out your own private shower and honeypot. <laughs> Yummy. And we ain't talking about the stuff you put on your bread. <laughs> Not talking about what Winnie the Pooh likes. <laughs> <laughs> Her husband had served as a jail. Nope. Her husband had. <laughs> okay. You sound like an actor getting ready to go on stage. I don't know what the things that they do to warm up. And somebody's listening to this right before they're falling asleep, because we know some of you listen as you're falling asleep, and they're going, whoa, what the hell was that? Is that the alarm? (laughs) No, it's just Kelly in her mouth. Oh, I guess it's my turn to read, right? (laughs) I was like, why are you looking at me like that? I'm sorry, am I supposed to be reading now? (laughs) Future creators of Mark Mark, 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 Mark. Marky Mark's bourbon? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Drink some of that and you'll be feeling the vibration. <laughs> Feel the vibration. It's Ooh. such a good sensation. Hey, you could do that. You could have your Marky's Mark bourbon <laughs> while you're doing a seance and it would go perfectly. I'm feeling the vibrations. They're coming through now. Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay. Poor little baby. <laughs> <laughs> I had to make it sound like the bee. Had, you to, know. had to rhyme it well. <laughs> Should I have wrapped it? No. Stay away from the. No, I feel like I'm gonna have a heart attack. You in labor? Oh Lord, the bloopers this week. Oh my God, this is what happens when we take a week off. <laughs>